The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. I just love, I get to look out and I constantly am like, I just am amazed how much I like all these people. And some of you that I don't know as well yet, I hope to get to know you. And uh, we're running out of baseball games, but next year I'll take you to a baseball game. And uh, we'll have an open door coming up before long and some other opportunities to connect. Um, How many of you enjoyed all 18 innings of that crazy Astros game last night? (laughs) It was beautiful. Um, uh, True true story, in the 15th inning, um, I took extra blood pressure medicine because I could just tell like, I'm off. And that was after I had already, um, I was driving home during the 10th inning and this is what I saw while I was driving home. I, I think it looks like an Astros jersey. So I was like, I thought it was God's promise to me that we were gonna win. But every inning it got delayed, I started to doubt, right? So that's our life, like doubt creeps in and uh, thank God for Jeremy Pena and, um, and for so many other beautiful gifts and some great pictures and it's gonna be a really fun ride. So just so you know, um, we don't know uh, who we're gonna play. We don't know if the Yankees are really good enough to win a playoff series or not. Um, we're kind of doubting it right now, but it's possible they might be. So it's either them or Cleveland, but on the away games, we're going to have some watch parties. So on the West side, they probably already told you West side, October 22nd. We don't know the time or the opponent yet. We do know that there will be great food and fun. And then one here downtown on October 23rd. So put those in your calendar. Don't watch it at home by yourself, all bored, like come hang out with us and, uh, and we'll have a good time together. I get the privilege of closing out a series we've been in today called Who is Ecclesia? We've been asking an important question. If you missed any of the uh, weekends, I'd encourage you to get the podcast and just go, what kind of church am I a part of? And I promise you that if you listen to all those, you'll have this sense of like, this is who we are as a people. And as often happens, we were ready to close out the series last week and Sean came to me um, a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm not around, but um, I think for people to really understand who Ecclesia is, you need to talk about the difference about in the ways that we view the Christian faith, not as a set of facts, but as a story that we get to belong to. And for us, it's a pretty significant difference. And so maybe you're like me and you grew up in a church and the way that I grew up, I was basically told that if you believed, boom, 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 these four facts about Jesus and the faith, you were a Christian. But then there's this one weird verse in the Bible where Jesus is like, well, even the demons believe that stuff, right? And it kind of threw us off a little bit. We're like, never mind, just stick to it. Just believe those four things, right? And the truth is just believing something in your head doesn't make you any different. And, And ultimately, and it hits at the core of who we are and what I get to do with you. Because oftentimes when people come to church, the expectation is my job is to teach you the Bible and leave you you leave here and you're Bible smart, right? And you go out in the world and you're really super freaking Bible smart. And you can answer questions about the Bible and you kind of know the Bible. But what I learned historically was a lot of times people that are really Bible smart are not nice. Sometimes they're not even good human beings. And that maybe the way that we engage the Bible isn't so that we get all these facts in our head and our head's like so heavy that it just like, that, that actually those truths would have to hit our heart 
in a way that changes our life and we live different. And then what we would suggest to you is that Christianity is a massive, beautiful story that your story then connects to and it becomes one story and then that's a beautiful way to live. And that's different than saying Christianity is boom, boom, boom. If I told you like what, you know, if I wanted to introduce you to Jesus, right? And that's what I was trained to like, Growing up, we were taught, like, if you do that, you could have it on a track, and it would be these, here are four facts about Jesus. And at the end of it, you kind of go, do you agree with those four facts? But the truth is, my relationship with Jesus is a love story. It, it's passionate, because I believe God made me, and he actually loves me, and he actually walks with me in good times and in bad times. And it's a really, if I were to really talk to you about Jesus, it would, it would be filled with passion. And if it wasn't, if it was just four facts, like if I told you, God's blessed me with a really, really amazing wife. And if I told you like, hey, let me tell you about Kristen, right? And I want, let me tell you about Kristen. Kristen is five, six. Kristen is born in Houston, Texas, but has lived in Alabama. Kristen has red hair and green eyes. Anybody feel like you know Kristen? Right? But if I told you like, I went most of my life not talking to her, seeing her, but I knew her in high school. And then in high school, I used to watch her. She was the most beautiful girl in our school. She was the head cheerleader. She was whatever popular you're supposed to. And she broke all those stereotypes because I used to watch her in the cafeteria, find the people that didn't have anybody to sit with and bring them to sit with her. And I always thought like, that's the kind of person I want to be friends with. If I told you that when we reconnected that she was a single mom and that she's like, I could tell you she's a hard worker, but when I tell you like she works full-time at Wells Fargo as a financial advisor, but she also has a real estate license and does some real estate deals. And then she manages some beach houses and Gulf Shores and literally goes down and cleans them on the weekend and preps them to turn around for the next people that are there. And then because she doesn't have her girls on Wednesday night, she just picked up a job where she's a bartender at a little wine bar inside of a bookstore on Wednesday nights and she like, it's like a ministry, like these old men come from near and far to have this beautiful woman serve them a drink, right? And she asked them like, how are you really doing, right? People that didn't get asked that, like hopefully if I told you a, a few stories, and I, I could go on and on, I took her to Argentina with me and I've missed like some of the big things going on because I'm just stupid and I don't pay attention sometimes and we're like sitting in the car and my friend Marcelo had to buy a new car and he told us like, I had to finance it and I, I thought it got a good interest rate. He said it was 5%. I just didn't hear the part that he said per month. And she was smarter and she listened and we got out of the car and she's like, he's paying 60% interest, right? We're like, Our pastors can't do that. We got to fix that, right? That in those places, hopefully if I told you the stories and she's really beautiful, by the way, here's a photo of her. If I told you those stories, you felt like you know her, right? So shouldn't we share the good news of Jesus in the same way? Shouldn't we invite people into the story that's like, you wouldn't believe. I finally figured out that the God that made the whole universe doesn't think I'm awful. In fact, just the opposite. That very God thinks I'm amazing and created me and loves me just as I am and knows this like stuff I've done and has totally forgiven me. Like that's an amazing story. I, I realized years ago, um, and it helped me understand the way that I read the Bible, um, when I learned a story about my family, and maybe you'll have a similar story that's helped inform you. Uh, for me, at first, it was just 
a funny story or a unique story until I realized that what happened through that story shaped me. So think about if you've got a story like this, but um, if you've been around here long, you've heard me tell this story because it, it's a part of who I really am. My, uh, my dad was raised by his grandparents. So his dad died uh, in the Korean War. He was in the first battle of the Korean War. Um, he was, my dad was born in Tokyo. And uh, then he came back to Houston and ultimately was raised by his grandparents. Uh, my uh, mammy who was, I don't even know how to describe her. She was a hardcore Baptist who spent a lot of her time in a wheelchair, always with snuff in her mouth, even at church, which I don't really get, but that's what they did. And she was tough and beautiful and smart and faithful and kind. And she was married to my grandfather, Pappy. And Pappy was a one-armed truck driver. Literally, I remember as a kid, he drove a dump truck, which is the coolest Pappy job your grandfather could have, right? And he did it before power steering with one arm, right? So if you sat in his lap as a kid, he had this one arm that was so freaking strong because he had to do everything with it. And then he had this like flap that I used to just like, flap around, right? And, and it was just like, as a kid, you're like, this is the weirdest toy ever. And, and I remember being like four years old and finally having the words and being like, Pappy, where's your arm, right? And I learned, even as a kid, you figure out like, you're not supposed to ask that question. Right? Like it wasn't, and it wasn't until later in life um, that we met with my aunt. We don't know her name. We just call her aunt sister. And and she told us the story that my pappy got in a fight at a bar close to where the gallery is today. And he thought a man was mistreating a woman and he spoke up and the guy wanted to fight and he fought him. He, he whooped him and he thought the fight was over but the guy went out to the truck and he came back with a gun and he shot my pappy's arm off, right? And then my pappy picks this guy up with his one good arm and he throws him against a brick wall and it kills him, which is not how we thought the story would end. And for a while, I would just kind of tell the story like if I was negotiating a book deal and wanted to seem tough, like my pappy killed a man. And, and then it took me a while to realize that my pappy didn't tell that story and he didn't want anybody to tell that story and he didn't want to tell any really hard story. And emotionally, he, he kind of clammed up after he killed a man. And that he was the primary male role model for my dad. And then my dad inherited a lot of that from him. And that I inherited a lot of that from my dad. Does that make sense? Like that story wasn't just a story, it was my story. And this is the deal. When we read the Bible and we read it well, this is what ought to happen. We read the story of Adam and Eve, right? And again, I need to teach Genesis again sometimes because everybody gets freaked out. It's Adam means mankind. It's the beginning of the story of mankind and womankind being created. And there are two versions. So you don't get to say like, do you believe, like there's two versions of it in there, by the way, right? They're not super literal at all, but they're super insightful. And if you read it well, you read the story of Adam and Eve and you go, that's me. That's why I do that. That's why I blame. That's, that's why when things go wrong, I'm looking for somebody to blame because we've been doing that from the beginning. There's some blamers in this room. I can see you. I see it in your eyes, right? Like, I'm a blamer. I blame. I'm, I, didn't, I didn't do that. It was her, right? And, and over and over again, you read the Bible well and you're like, that, that's me. That's my story. And it tells us not just facts for our head. Is everybody tracking with me? Not just facts about God, but it tells you who you are and how you're made to live. 
Have you guys had any coffee today? Are you with me? Because I like one person nodded their head. And, and I want you to know, like, this is a big difference. It's, it's a big shift. So when we read the Bible, a lot of people have these adjectives for the Bible where they're like, the Bible's this or the Bible's that. And some people say it's inerrant or it's, um, it, it's infallible or it's like authoritative or they have all these. This is what I'll tell you. I, the Bible is perfect in every way that it needs to be perfect. If you read the Bible well, you will love it. You will love it. Now, it's not a historical book that's always about the number. You're going to be places like, well, it said there were this many people, but in the other same story, it said there were this many people. Yeah, that wasn't the point of the story, how many people were there. Like, it's perfect in the ways that it needs to be perfect. But we're not in some weird religious competition. Like some of these churches are like, if you don't believe it's inerrant, then you're not like with us, right? And it's almost like, these, like a group of husbands get at the back of the room, like, I love my wife more than you love your wife. No, I love my wife more. Like, I'll fight you, I love her more, right? If, just let me tell you this. If you read the Bible well, you'll love it. But you gotta read it well. And some of the passages we're gonna look at today will help you, I hope, um, to read it, to read it well. It's, it's a little bit like, um, there's a book I read years ago, um, by a guy named Sam Weinberg. He's uh, a historian at, at Stanford University. And he wrote a book that's about criticizing the way that we teach history in the public schools. And we're still doing some of this. And Sam, it, the book's called Historical Thinking and Other Unnatural Acts, if you're a history teacher or something. And basically what he says is, if you teach to facts, nobody learns anything. Anybody remember studying history and having to, like the night before a test, just memorize a bunch of facts. Anybody remember any of those facts today? It's why they do those talk shows and they'll interview people and be like, what continent are we on? And they're like, what's a continent? Like they don't know anything. They don't know any, how many states are there? Like they don't know anything, right? Because if you just try to memorize facts, you actually learn nothing. And that's been a way that people have often taught Christianity. Just so you know, our kids are not learning Christianity that way. They have a story intent that they go in and they hear whole stories and they're invited into ways to understand that they're a part of God's story. And, and ultimately what he says, Sam Weinberg says, is if you stop teaching to facts and you start telling the whole story of history, then you'll have a place for the facts to hold. The, the story will become like a pegboard and you can actually hold on to facts and remember them. So some of you read like historical novels, right? And you read a historical novel and you'll have a whole story and all of a sudden you'll remember facts about it because you've got a story that gives it a place to hold. Does that make sense to everybody? And so that's the way we want to in preaching and teaching and what we do with our kids, invite you into God's big and beautiful story. So in 2 Timothy 3, Paul is talking uh, to Timothy. And remember, he's talking to Timothy. Timothy's this guy, he's younger, he's mentored him, he's kind of loved on him. And he's telling him at the beginning of this chapter, he's saying, hey, hard days are coming. And I can say the same to you, like, I don't know what's coming. Hopefully the Astros are gonna win the World Series, but some point after that, there's gonna be some hard days, right? He says, hard days are coming, and guess what? As they come, they're gonna be filled with self-important people. He says, there's coming a day where everybody's gonna think they're more important than the other person. Anybody driving in traffic from time to time and just go, that guy thinks he is the most important person in the world. Like, I hope he is like the greatest humanitarian ever going to rescue someone because clearly, like, 
Like, who are you? They just, like, that's who I am. I'm in Houston and I'm, I'm better than the rest of you. I will cut all of you off, right? And, and he says, there's a day coming where people are gonna love pleasure more than they love God. How many of you are like, I think that day's already come for me. Like, like, and they didn't even have, I'm convinced they didn't have all the forms of pleasure. We, like, they had not perfected the art of cheese the way that they have at Los Tios where I'm gonna go right after I leave here to meet Christian, right? And the reality is like, I can get lost in it, right? That sense of, of pleasure. He says, that, that day's coming. And then this is what he says, and I want you to think about this one. He says to Timothy, he says, you've been a good student, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to imitate me. I want you to be like me. And he says, I'm not perfect, but if you follow me and you live like me, you're gonna love the people around you and you're gonna to learn to endure hard things. Now, you gotta remember, right? Anybody else feel like, man, it's pretty gutsy to go like, hey, why don't you be more like me? Like, unless you're Michael Jordan and you're talking about your game, you're like, like hey, I think y'all should be more like me. Like, how is it that Paul came to the place? And you gotta remember, Paul, Every time he went to a church or he wrote to a church, he had to be thinking like, I wonder if one of the people I hunted down when I used to persecute the church, like I wonder if any of them are a part of that church. Wouldn't that be awkward for you if like you hunted somebody down and they were ultimately killed for being a Christian and now you're writing to them? And you constantly have to be like, I wonder if I'm gonna bump into, anybody have those feelings? Like I, I hope I don't bump into somebody that I, in my old, like I did, and I'm, anybody feel like sometimes your failures from the past have just defined you? And you have a hard time like letting go? I, what I will tell you is I think the beauty of God's story is that when you intersect with God's story, you also come to realize like, yeah, no, that part, <laughs> like that's gone. I've been remade, I'm like a new person. And now I can turn and say, and I just gotta tell you, Ecclesia, if we had a church filled with people that turn to your friends and neighbors, your family and your kids and go, hey, follow me, I'm not gonna be perfect, but if you follow me, you're gonna learn to love people and walk through hard times. And if you could do both those things and simultaneously love people while you're walking through hard times, the world would be a really good place. And then he goes on, in 2 Timothy 3, in verse 16, he says this. He talks about the Bible. Now, you gotta remember, the Bible didn't exist in its current form at this point. He's talking about the Old Testament. He didn't realize that the letter he was writing was gonna end up in the Bible, but the people pulling it together and praying over it said, these letters are so beautiful and important, they're gonna encourage the church, so they put them in the Bible. And he says this, he says, all of scripture is God-breathed. If somebody wanna, wants to ask you, how do you define the scripture, tell them, it's God-breathed. And this is what I hope happens to you when you read the Bible. You feel like God's breathing on you. Remember I read you a passage a few weeks ago where Jesus is in the room with his disciples and he ate a piece of fish and he told them, peace be upon you. And he said, you can touch my scars if you want. And then it tells us that he breathed on them. And they felt like empowered, loved, encouraged. I hope if you read the Bible, when you read the Bible, you're like, I feel like God's with me. He says, in its inspired voice, this is what happens. We hear useful teaching for rebuke. No matter who you are, sometimes you come and you hear like, I gotta stop doing that. Or I need to start doing that. I'm doing the wrong thing. 
There are times that we read the Bible, we're going to be like, oh, I missed it. Correction, not just stop doing that. Now start doing this and this way. Instruction, there are things in the Bible that's just going to teach us. And training for a life that's right. I think all of us could just say like, I want to be a good human being. I want to live a life that's right. I want to do the right thing. The Bible is helpful in doing the right thing so that God's people may be up to the task ahead and have all they need to accomplish. What? Say it with me. To accomplish every good work. Like let's do a good work. Let's do a good thing. Right? That ultimately that is a gift. In Galatians 5, Paul shares something similar. And, and he's talking in Galatians 5 to the church in Galatians, and he's warning them. Because he said, hey, the way you guys have started to read the Bible and the input you've gotten from religious people has totally messed you up. And he said, you've got to be really careful. Because what was happening was a group of people were telling these new Christians in Galatians, in Galatia, they were, they were telling them, you've got to go live by the rules. And the main one they were telling them was to be circumcised. So, and you got to know, this is an awkward conversation, right? Because typically people get that done when they're a baby and now there's a bunch of grown men and they're telling them, hey, hey, time to clip, clip, right? And they're like, what? And they're like, no, you got, you got to do that. It's a rule. You got to do it. And they're like, well, if it's a rule, then I guess we need to do it, right? And Paul leans in and Paul says, forget the rules. He's like, faith is not about the rules. In fact, he tells them not only like, yeah, do it or not do it. He's like, don't do it. And in Galatians 5, he explains to him, if you do that, just so you know, there's going to be another rule and another rule and another rule and another rule, and it'll never end. And he basically tells him, that's not Christianity. Anybody ever been around that kind of Christianity? And he's like, it'll take you nowhere. He goes, real faith isn't about the rules. It's not about keeping the lists, right? And then he goes on and tells him, in Jesus, circumcision doesn't matter at all. Jesus doesn't care about circumcision. Then he says, Jesus cares about a faith that's energized by love. If you had a picture for what we want today, what we're hoping God will do is you enter into God's story in a full way. It's that you would have a faith, but not just one that's in your head. It'd be a faith that's energized by love. And that means you're going to do some stuff, right? You're going to live it out in some really, really beautiful ways. And then he warns them, if you get just a little bit of legalism, he says, it'll be like yeast in a loaf. You only need a little yeast and the, and the whole loaf will rise. He says, if you get a little bit of that stuff, it'll ruin you. So what do we do at Ecclesia? We try to expel legalists as quickly as we can. So we do things like on Father's Day, we'll serve you beer. And if you're like a really religious legal person, you're like, this church is awful. And we go, yes, please go to another church, right? <laughs> please, please. Because a little of your yeast will ruin us, right? Because we just know, like, if we become legalistic and you think, like, you're, it's going to be bad. If you think you got to earn God's love, as opposed to Paul, who's like, hey, I messed up. I got a fresh start. Just follow me. That's my hope and prayer for all of us. And in, in Galatians 5, he goes on in verse 22, and he, he describes what I think, um, well, let me tell you the two things that I think for Sean and I or Erica or whoever's up here or Mike or any of the community pastors, when we're praying for you, this is what we would hope happen. As we engage the scripture, our hope is that you realize, one, that we're here 
and that we together can make the world a better place. Like, I hope you hear that really clearly. Do we have those slides? That as we walk together, there are things we can do. You can't be on your own transform this city, but you know what we can? You can't on your own have a massive impact right now in the Ukraine, but together we can in Venezuela, in Argentina, in India, in Africa, we go down, like, that's what we get to do when we're together. And then secondly, that when we walk through these things together, that God will be shaping you to make you the person that God intended you to be. I think every week I come here and there's a sense of like, I gotta recalibrate a little bit. Like I'm here, but I think God really wanted me kind of here. Anybody else have that feeling? Like you're just like, I gotta shift a little bit and, and see the person that God really intended for me to be. And our hope as God works in you that there's just gonna be natural, the scripture says, fruit in your life. And this is how Paul describes it in Galatians 5. He says, forget legalism. This is what matters. He said, the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit and it won't look like rule keeping. It'll look like this, unconditional love. Erica Graham had a great quote this week. She said, you really don't have to say unconditional love because if it's not unconditional, it's not love, right? Like, Real love, like if it comes with conditions, it's just not really love, it's usury. Joy, what's joy? It's that ability to be happy no matter what your circumstance is. Like it's easy for me to be happy when Jordan Alvarez hits a walk off homer. I've had an amazing week because my friend Brian Anderson is the play-by-play guy for TBS. So I've been having dinners after all the games with like the whole TBS crew. Like my life is awesome, right? It's easy. But when my life's in the gutter, right? When life is not good, then to be joyful, right? Peace. In the Hebrew, the word shalom, right? It's not the lack of conflict. conflict. It's about wholeness, being complete. Patience. Anybody else go like, that one's hard. Anybody, like, raising kids is a great opportunity to observe human nature. Anybody raise a kid and just go, you know what, they just came out of the womb like patient. Anybody raise that kid? Mary is the only one that raised that kid, right? Jesus. Like the rest of, we don't come out patient. Like it's just, patience is not something that comes natural. But he says, it'll be a work of the spirit. You engage the spirit, you read the scripture, you pray. You, like God will give you a patience that's not your own. Kind heartedness. The world needs more of it. Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. In our world today, gentleness goes a long way. And then that one I hate, self-control. That one is awful, Right? That's so hard, self-control, right? Anybody else, like, if I eat bread, then I want cheese. And when I eat cheese, I want more bread, which makes me want wine, which makes me want more cheese, and then more bread, and then more wine. It's genetically made that way, and I don't know why, um, which means you have to be all or nothing, and I don't like that kind of life at all. So, I'm sorry, that, this is not my therapy session. I shouldn't. <laughs> Anybody else self-control? Like, I plan to go to the gym, right? Paul says, like, those things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, that I do. But he says, when the Spirit's at work in us, we can have a self-control that's not natural for us. 
He says, you won't find any law opposed to fruit like this. Those of us who belong to the anointed one have crucified our old lives and put to death the flesh and all the lusts and desires that plague us. That's what Paul was living out. Now, since we've chosen to walk with the Spirit, and this is what we're here to do, Ecclesia, let's keep each step in perfect sync with God's Spirit. This is what we do when we come here. I think we're like, God's walking at this pace and I need to find his pace. We just get in sync with what God's doing. And then all of a sudden when we're walking at the same pace, some of us are like resistant and we're, slow, we're like the dog that you're trying to walk that doesn't wanna walk. Or we're like the one that's like charging off ahead. And there's something about, like somebody has a really well-trained dog, right? They just walk with you, right? You're walking together. He said, this will happen when we do this. We set aside our self-interests. We work together to create true community instead of a culture consumed by provocation, pride, and envy. Now, that's beautifully said. If we lay aside our self-interest and work together to create a community, right? The beautiful community that's not about self-interest and pride. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.